Welcome to the Trading Raw Stories podcast. It's Rita. I'm so excited for today's guest. Oh my gosh, I'm freaking out right now. I'm like such a fangirl. I have the one and only Sharon Lecter. Sharon Lecter is internationally recognized as a financial literacy expert, keynote speaker, and business mentor. She's a New York Times bestselling author. She's a successful entrepreneur, philanthropist, and she's enjoyed a 35-year career as a licensed CPA. And she's advised two U.S. presidents on the topic of financial literacy. And she co-authored the international bestseller, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I'm sure you've heard of, and 14 other books in the Rich Dad series. And in 2008, when the economy crashed, she was asked by Napoleon Hill Foundation to help re-energize the teachings of Napoleon Hill. And her best-selling books with the foundation include Three Feet from Gold, Outwitting the Devil, and Think and Grow Rich for Women and Success and Something Greater. She's also featured in the movie Think and Grow Rich, The Legacy, and on the national television series World's Greatest Motivators. She's currently launching her newest title, Exit Rich, to support entrepreneurs in building value and scalability in their businesses so they can be in the position of greatest potential. Oh my gosh, she is so amazing. And I'm so excited to welcome Sharon Lecter. <laughs> um, I am absolutely delighted to be with you. I'm really excited to just get to talk with you and hear your story. And I was listening to the audio of Outwitting the Devil. And I heard so much in there that that triggered a lot of things for me because I was a teacher. I taught elementary school. I also taught at the college level and hearing the part of the, the, the interview, I guess, with the devil about what they're doing in schools and the school system and all of that, that's what really stood out to me the most. And I wanted to pick your brain and talk a little bit about that and just kind of hear your story, like how this all started for you and anything you'd like to share about um, your childhood, your journey and how this all started. So tell me, just tell me your story. I got started many, many, obviously I've been around a long time. So I grew up in a very entrepreneurial home and lived in a little tiny house between my mom's beauty shop and my dad's used car lot. We owned rental properties that I had to scrub out the bathrooms between tenants when I was 10 years old and orange groves. So um, I was just raised in the environment of entrepreneurship and swore I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I was the first generation, my sister and I had to go to college, got my degree in accounting, and I was one of the very first women in public accounting and very, you know, single um, career woman and hot Atlanta, Georgia, and it was, it was great having a great time. About the ripe old age of 25, I realized I was working really, really crazy hours for someone else. And I said, all of a sudden, my parents started looking a lot smarter. So <laughs> I left public accounting and went into entrepreneurship at the age of 25. And I've never looked back. But wow. So it's so important. And I didn't realize until I got out into the real world that very few people understand what I lived with and understood from a very early age. And it's don't chase the income, don't chase the salary. Look at investing your time into buying, building, and creating income-producing assets. So don't chase the money, chase the asset. And then the asset will become an economic engine for you. Wow. And you were a CPA for like 35 years, weren't you? Yes. Yeah. I kept my credentials because I was, um, you know, I, I'm 
still considered a financial literacy expert. So that's certainly that credential helps. I'm still a CGMA, which is a, a chartered global management accountant, but uh, I haven't been practicing as a CPA many, many years. I started and sold a woman's magazine. I started and grew the talking children's book industry um, back in, in the late 80s with the inventor of the first talking children's book. And that's how I learned the power of association with Disney, Warner Brothers, Sesame Street, Marvel Comics, and said, well, next time I build a company, I want to be the brand that people come to. And so about that time in 92, our oldest son went off to college and got into credit card debt. So December of 92, I dedicated the rest of my career to financial literacy, financial education. And that's when a few years later, I met Robert Kiyosaki. He went to see my husband for some advice. And he had this idea for a board game drawn out on a piece of paper, and I'm the only one that got out of the rat race. And so I told him that it was very consistent with what I was teaching. And so I used my background and my experience to help him commercialize the cash flow game. And in that process, he told me he was going to charge $200 for it. And I said, that's kind of pricey for a board game. We're talking 1996. Oh, wow. I said, you should probably write a brochure on your philosophy that people could read. And that's when he asked me to be his partner. And the brochure that we wrote was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. All right. And so Rich Dad, Poor Dad took on a life of its own. We never expected it to. And we thought we wrote one book and then we went to three. And then in our 10 years growing the Rich Dad organization, we co-authored 15 books and I launched an additional brand called Rich Dad Advisors. And then um, we just did messaging, took the world by storm, but I built the brand so that other companies would align with us like Time Life, um, Warner Books. And so that's really been my, my background is helping people understand how to build the economic engines and to how to build a strong business. And when I left um, the Richard organization, I had the honor of serving both President Bush and President Obama and the first President's Advisory Council for Financial Literacy, which was a huge honor. And then got the call from the Napoleon Hill Foundation during the financial crisis in 2008, asking me to step in and reinvigorate the teachings of Napoleon Hill, which of course was Outweighing the Devil was one of those. My first book with them was Three Feet from Gold, Outweighing the Devil, Think and Grow Rich for Women and success in something greater. And that's just been an incredible journey. Again, always focused on my de definite purpose, which is to provide tools that can help people take control of their financial lives. So. My goodness, you are a force. Like, holy cow, The where do I even begin? Oh my goodness, Sharon. Seriously, you know what I heard? I heard that you actually wrote every word of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Is that true? I did the bulk of the writing. Robert had some stories that he'd written over the years. And then we went through it. We talked about it, but I did most of the writing. Yes. It's such a powerful piece of work. It's it's changed lives. My sister picked it up and she was like, you have to read this. I'm like, I already read it. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm, I'm always referring books out to people. And the second I finished um, Outwitting the Devil, I already sent it to so many friends. I'm like, you have to at least listen to this. I normally listen to podcasts as I'm driving, but since Clubhouse came into the picture. It's now clubhouse while we're driving and, uh, which is better than people texting while they're driving. <laughs> clubhouse has kind of taken the world by storm with this pandemic, but, uh, 
Yeah, the uh, the audio book for Outwitting the Devil, I told the publisher we had to have two different actors so that you have different voices and the devil's voice is grovelly and grumpy. And it's I just scary. It. The devil's voice was like, ooh, I, like, I felt I, it. I people call me and say, Sharon, I had to pull off the side of the road. It scared me so much. Yeah, that yeah. It's real fun. And it, it, it impacts. That's what we wanted. It impacts. It really did. It's so It was so powerful. I had to stop it, rewind it, and write some things down and just go, oh my goodness, like things really rang true. And I love that you stop and interject and you share kind of like you reiterate what was said, but in a way that you're relating it to your own self and then posing a question to who's listening. So powerful. I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I mentioned at the, the beginning of this call of the things that I that really stood out to me is the, the the description of how cigarettes are really the one tool that are so power that's so powerful that's kind of like um, taking control over people without them realizing it because it's um, what is it doing exactly to the brain so that you're you're losing control over your mind brain with the chemicals and it's making you it's addictive I mean, it starts the addiction um, cycle. And that was before, I mean, he wrote about that in Outwitting the Double in 1938, before anybody really knew cigarettes were really bad for you. And so yeah. he was definitely a man before his time. Definitely. Yeah. When I heard that, I was like, oh my gosh, when that that book was um, even published, wasn't it 2011 that it, it finally came out, but he had written it and didn't release certain parts that would be so triggering for people where it, where it came to the school part and religion and the way parents are raising their kids and all of that. So then later they brought, you guys brought it out. Well, in 1938, when he wrote it, his wife refused to let it be published. And so it was hidden away for 72 years. And oh my gosh. When we brought it out, I was able to go through and 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 again compare 1938 to when we were releasing this, so that you could draw a parallel. And that's why in my comments, so there was a lot of diehard Hills fans that didn't want anything for me in there. And so what I did was I put my comments in a different type font, so a diehard Hill fan could just read through it and skip my comments. But our trigger and our market was really your generation because most of you didn't know who he was and didn't know the background of his work. And so, and the book Outwitting the Devil is a little in your face. And so it yeah. really has hit a target and hit home with your generation of people wanting to say, yep, you're right. That's right. That's how I feel. You know, yeah. So it's, it's so well done. It's so beautiful. And I love how it's so it's, it really is in your face. It's like, Oh, tell me exactly what a drifter is. Tell me exactly what a non-drifter is. And you can relate to one or the other. And then you're like, holy shit, I'm a drifter, right? And then it gets you to start reflecting inward and having control over your mind or trying to at least, or having that awakening moment, which is so powerful. You and going the other self, you know, and that you have, the, you have the inner self mm -hmm. and the outer self. And when they are not congruent, you have issues, so. Yeah, that's so true. And a lot of, um, I guess you could say spiritual people who are aware of their thoughts and they are more conscious and the 2% that's awakened, if you will, um, they are, they are very aware of these, these negative thoughts that creep in and you're, you're able to control them. And that's who the devil in the book was talking about, um, that he has lost power to them because there are so many resources and things that you can take advantage of. 
But the way that he described the drifters, like lack of purpose, lack of self-confidence, they get sick. They have no enthusiasm to do anything without effort. Um, they have like a temper or they don't have control over their emotions and they, they don't have this, an attractive energy, like an energetic frequency. And I think that comes from the people that go, Oh, whatever, whatever, or they go with the flow. They, yeah. they're, 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 they're listless and that, that's the drifters. So. Yeah. And another um, thing that stood out to me too about a drifter is they would often blame others or blame anything and everything without uh, taking the blame for on their own or taking responsibility, or they would rather lie than admit that they were wrong or don't know something. Right. So those are some that stood out to me too. It's interesting too, going back to the health piece, like the numbing, that this is a numb person. A drifter is a numb person and cigarettes numb you. Alcohol numbs you. Um, the media, what you're consuming through your eyes, your ears, and your mouth numbs you. When you're in school and you're not learning about your own, the power of your own mind and negative thoughts versus positive thoughts, um, and you're eating food that's filled with chemicals that's essentially poisoning you too. So that's fogging your brain, disconnecting you from the power of your own self, your, your other self, your higher self to even have your own thoughts and this, the food system. Oh my gosh. They said something in, in the book that lit me up because I've always had this dream, Sharon, of creating my own school of where I teach about your health, about your mindset, about your um, ability to, to tap into what your purpose is, what your calling is, light up your life, feel excited and enthusiastic and unstoppable. And, and for you to grow up through the school system, feeling that power, empowerment, essentially, who you'd become as an adult. And I want to do that so bad. And I actually work for a company in my day job where we sell social emotional learning curriculum and assessments and professional development for educators for K through 12 school districts. And I cover the entire West region of the United States. And with that, schools don't even have the budget. It's it's something that should be required, something that's already implemented, but it's not intentionally so that they don't have this knowledge or experience in life. Such sure. a shame. You know, you think about little kids and when they're home, they're building forts and pirates or forts and castles out of pillows and blankets or very curious or very creative. And they go to school and they're taught conformity, which is some, you know, we didn't learn a certain amount of conformity to live in the world we live in. But then all of a sudden the blankets go away, the pillows, the crayons, the blocks, and they go through school and they're very con conformist raise your hand, stand in line. And then they get out into the real world, they get a career and they are in a career and they build some success and some comfort. So they're comfortable. They find themselves doing the same thing every day, every day, and they become complacent. And mm -hmm. then along comes a crisis, which 2020 kind of qualifies as, and your life is thrown into chaos. And how do you get out of that chaos? By becoming curious and creative again. So as adults or people that are concerned about our children, we need to really work hard to keep that curiosity and that creativity alive in our children as they grow. Yeah, I love that. I often um, invite people that I'm coaching or just having conversations with. I say to them, what did you love to do when you were a kid? What lit you up? What excited you? Bring that into your life as an adult. Every day, do something that you love. Bring, do something that brings you joy. Do something that lights you up. And that really, truly 
is your calling when you were a kid, what it was that you were curious about, what it was you were creating, what it was that lit you up. Those are breadcrumbs from God or the universe or whatever it is for you, leading you to what your calling is, what you were meant to do, what would be of service, right? And that's what they say also in, in um, Outwitting the Devil about how to get out of becoming a drifter, do something good, be of service, right? Yep, exactly. Oh, I loved it so much. The way you conquered the fear. Well, the other thing, and I don't know if you've noticed this, particularly since you're listening to the audiobook, on page 61 of the book. Now, when I first started um, talking about the book, I said I felt the most pervasive fear was fear of criticism mm -hmm. before 2020. And I said, because FOMO, um, trying to keep up with the Joneses, social media, the fear of criticism was so, so strong in most people's lives. Yeah. Well, when, when the pandemic hit, I was looking back through the book because I said, I, this is really important for people to share. Yeah. And on page 61, there's a, this is when they're questioning the devil says, which of these six fears serves you most often? And that's the fear of pit, poverty, criticism, ill health, loss of love, old age, and death. And the answer is the first and last poverty and death. At one time or another during life, I tighten my grip on all people through one or both of these. Yeah, I remember that. 2020, death, poverty, and let's add in fear of isolation. And so we have to say, all right, this is happening. How do we get out of it? And that's what we talk about in the book, those seven steps to bring peace, enlightenment, and dedication to your life, definiteness of purpose, mastery over self, learning from adversity, right? Things happen to us. Let's learn from it so they don't repeat. And then managing, you know, controlling your environment. So important. What are you letting into your space? Who are you hanging out with? Control of your time. Are you spending your time? Are you binge watching Netflix? Or are you investing your time and preparing yourself for the future? And then understanding hypnotic rhythm, when you do all those successfully, it becomes a good habit. If you're not, it becomes a bad habit. And then, yeah, and that's all it is, is habits. We need to develop controlled, positive habits that propel right. forward. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The, I, I remember that part in the book about um, the two being poverty and death. And the way that it was described, like the, the strengthening or, or the, the grip on everyone, right? Through those two. And the fear of criticism, fear of judgment, fear of just fear in general is how people are, are subconsciously programmed. And I'm sure you're familiar with Marianne Williamson's work, right? A Return to Love. Of course. Yes. Oh, gosh. When she was running for president, I was like, we are going to be saved. Yay. <laughs> Um, but when I read her book, um, a return to love, she highlighted how our programming subconsciously is fear-based and we can consciously choose love and instead of living in fear and having this fear of criticism, fear of judgment, fear of what people will think runs so deeply in us, especially in the United States of America, like you said, with um, social media with the the pressures of of cultural expectations and society and having materialistic things and ego and all of that. And it's when you get back, when you, when you're stripped away of everything that you have, like in this pandemic, what do you, what do you really have left? 
right? So those things that we're conditioned to believe are so important end up not mattering at all. Fear does one of two things. It paralyzes us or motivates us. And the vast mm-hmm. majority of us are paralyzed by fear. We want to get in the, under the covers, turn off the lights and just hope it goes away. Um, but it, it never will because it's inside you. And so you want to develop the concept of, okay, here's some fear touching me. All right, I'm going to turn that into energy and motivation to get past it and, and, and really create a better next step. Because fear is a human emotion and it's a very pervasive one because um, children, I don't know what the stats are anymore, but it's like you know, 75% of the answers to them are no. They hear no so many yeah. more times than they ever hear yes. And we hear things about money like we can't afford it. Uh, money doesn't grow on trees. So we hear this money negative, money negative, money negative. No wonder we develop a scarcity mindset. So mm-hmm. it's really important to start recognizing those negative negative triggers and say, okay, I'm going to shift my mindset from one of negativity to one of positivity. And to your point earlier, you know, I, we talk about above and below the line living and below the line is kind of almost a natural human state. Lay blame, justify, make excuses, right? On, or, or lie, like you use that lie. But above the line is being accountable, being responsible, and being in control of your thoughts. And it's something that's so important when we find ourselves there that we go, okay, do I want to stay below the line or do I want to stand up and stand in my own power? Yeah. Oh, so powerful. Paralyzed by fear. That is absolutely the thing that I noticed in myself that I overcame. Finally, thank goodness. I was programmed, Sharon, by my culture, by my parents, by my, by going to church every Sunday and all of that, like the, the fear of what people will say, what people will think, you know, to maintain this image and, you know, don't run around with this person or that person. Don't dress like this. Don't dress like that. Go to college, become a teacher and just live a life that I was told I should live. Right. So I often ask people, who were you before somebody told you who to be? Right. And kind of tap into that, peel the layers back and realize who you were. And to understand that you you are here for a bigger purpose. You are here for a reason. And to discover what that is, is the most beautiful, magical thing that you can do for yourself. Because then that strips away the fear. When you're anchored in the belief of, of knowing that you are here for a bigger purpose, or when you discover what that is that lights you up and you actually pursue it, it, it's, it's a new um, energy that's vibrating through you versus the energy of fear. So you'll have the energy of love and joy right, vibrating through your body, which attracts more of that into your experience. And so with clearing out the negative things, bringing more positive things in, and that includes what you're eating, right? At food is energy. Your thoughts are energy. Feelings, emotions are literally energy in motion. Well, I love the way he references food and diet. Of course, remember, he wrote this in 1938. And he said, you know, you are, imagine that your body is a sewer system because of what you're putting in it. So are you eating clean and keeping your body healthy and running appropriately? Or are you creating a sewer inside your body by what you're putting into your body? And it's, you know, it's like, it's, so that's, it's kind of in your face stuff that you sit back and go, oh, I should maybe pay attention to this. But yeah. it's important for each of us to think about what we want, what, what are, what we are all where we are today because the choices we made before today. Right. We want something different. We just need to simply make, start making different choices and making sure we are controlling our thoughts and who we're hanging out with and what we want out of life. 
And um, one of to your point about living the to be the person someone else expects you to be, it's very very um, common. I mean, every time I get in front of a particular group of women, I ask them to write out one word comments about who they are. So who are you? And when I did the, that, I was wife, mother, grandmother, author, entrepreneur, and fewer than two out of a hundred women will actually write their own name down. And that's because, particularly as women, we judge ourselves by the roles we play. And we judge ourselves through the eyes of others. And if we can learn to take better care of ourselves, so put your own name at the top of the list, you know, I'm going to be the best Rita I can be, because if I can be the best Rita I can be, then I will be a better wife, mother, author, entrepreneur. And that's something that's so important in today's world, because if we take a stand and take care of ourselves, we become more powerful and be able to help others more, more quickly. Yeah, absolutely. As they say, fill your own cup first, right? Before you can pour into others, you can't pour from an empty cup. As they say, I personally was uh, guilty of that. And I come from a very, very nurturing, loving mother who puts herself completely last Sharon. I mean, like not even in the backseat of the car, she'll sit in the trunk. So everyone else can have a seat. And it's, it's just so sad that I see her still suffering in the sense of putting everyone before her. And, and it's a, it's a people pleasing sort of thing, but it's also a feeling like you have to give, 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 and never take. And I adopted that from her subconsciously. And I, it showed up in all of my relationships until I realized what I was doing was not serving me or anyone in my life for that matter. But I I love the way that you put it, that we judge ourselves um, so harshly as women. We really do. We do. We are, we're our own worst critic. And I often find myself whenever I, I meet anyone or I'm in the energetic space with any woman, I automatically feel the love and, and the beauty and just everything about her that I, I vomit compliments. Like I can't help myself, but like tell you how beautiful you are and how, and I mean it genuinely, sincerely. Like I just, and all of my friends would say, I need my friends that live in New York. They're like, I'm, I miss having you here because I forgot what it feels like to just constantly be complimented. (laughs) And I don't do it on purpose. It just like when I think something or I feel something, yeah. And it just comes out. It just comes out naturally. Like for you, I'm like, I I'm obsessed with your energy. You have this beautiful glow, this aura about like, do you see the smile I've had on my face this entire time? It's like stuck frozen smile. It's because of your energy and your spirit. And Mo even told me, he said, you're going to love her. He's like, you're going to love her spirit. You're going to feel it. I'm, and um, he said, she has an amazing soul. You're going to feel her spirit. And he was absolutely spot on. I'm excited to see you on the 20th, by the way, I know you're doing a talk. Looking forward to that. So am I. It'd be great. It's been, it's been busy. You know, I spent before 2020, I spent 80% on the of my time on the road on planes. And now I've spent 80% of my year in this chair. <laughs> you know, you adapt and adopt and you reach people the best way that you can. And so it's continuing to move forward and and uh, whatever it takes to get your message out is so important. And you're in Arizona now? I am in Arizona. Yes, I'm preparing. We've got a launch for my new book, Exit Rich, which is coming out in a few months, but you can get a copy now um, by going to exitrichbook.com forward slash buy. If you want to get the advanced copy before other people get it, it's very exciting. It's with Inc. Magazine. And too many people own jobs, not businesses. They think they own businesses, but they really own jobs. 
And I want to give them the roadmap to take what they're doing now, their successful business, and making it sustainable, scalable, and saleable. And that's my goal and has always been my passion in supporting people creating that asset. Let's turn your business truly into an economic engine that's an asset that you can either leverage by scaling it, create a generational wealth opportunity for your children, or sell it and create that generational wealth. Amazing. I heard about that book coming out. You're basically supporting entrepreneurs to help them to build value, scale their business, and to really put them in the best possible position that they can achieve the greatest potential of, of, of their dreams, really. And I, I love how you put it with, with the, the sense of they think they have a business, but they don't. And I have a baby business, so I'll be picking up that book for sure. <laughs> good, good. Super. Yeah. Exit Rich Book. It's, not a, it's exitrichbook.com forward slash five. Awesome. I will definitely include that in the show notes for everyone to be able to access more easily. Absolutely. Wow. I'm, I'm just so in awe of you and everything that you've accomplished. And I truly can't even imagine what's to come from you. You were just at an event yesterday. Um, you're in, Cal- you're in Arizona. Um, but it was, um, was it Sim speak easy, Steve, something like uh, Steve Sims uh-huh. is speak Steve easy. Sims. That's what it was. And, oh, and um, Mike Searock. I saw the picture that he posted with you. I just did an episode with him as well. And I did one with Brandon. Um, yeah. So we, ha- we have a-, a bunch of friends in the same circle. <laughs> Wonderful. Excellent. Yeah. Are you have- based in Arizona? We've been here for 30 years. It's wow. Very easy place to I- live. We have a ranch here in Arizona, three hours outside Phoenix. I live in Paradise Valley, but our ranch is three hours away. It's called cherrycreeklodge.com. It's a little piece of heaven. It's a guest ranch. So you can come do the city slicker thing, go horseback riding or shoot or do some uh, uh, fishing. It's a great place. Just love I love it. that. That's awesome. I actually lived in Arizona, Sharon. I was in um, Scottsdale, Old Town Scottsdale in 2010. And then I was there for a good four-ish years. I taught fifth grade at Creighton um, in Creighton School District in Phoenix. The school was called Papago Elementary. It was Wonderful. such a, yeah, it was such a good time. Um, and I, I graduated from ASU and all of that. I loved Arizona. It, it was, the quality of life was great. The cost of living is low and the super scorching hot summers are not as bad as people make it out to be, but I think they've gotten worse over the years. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they get, I think they get a little worse because I get a little older, but, uh, yeah, but you know, it's hot when your high heels sink into the asphalt and you walk across. The <gasps> so. Wait, does that really happen? Oh yes. Yeah, it happens. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I don't remember that ever happening to me. I lived in heels. I would go to the, I would go to Sprouts every time I would be dressed up in heels, but now I, I, I barely get dressed anymore these days. I live in sweats. <laughs> So Sharon, can you tell me, um, I'm so curious when you were a kid, what was it that lit you up? What was it that you, that brought you joy or that you felt might've been your calling or your purpose or, um, what you were meant to do in life? What was it that you, that you were excited about when you were a kid? Well, I actually fell in love with my fourth grade teacher and she gave me the love of math. And um, I was actually my eighth grade teacher, who was my English teacher, who told me that I would be a famous writer someday. And um, I always had a love of numbers, still do. We'll always, numbers tell a story. And I also learned how important it is to be able to communicate very clearly and 
and, and not go off on a tangent, but to try and be specific and clear in what you communicate. So something that I've been able to combine those two passions. I thought I was going to be a math teacher. That was kind of my passion when I was a kid because I wanted to follow in the footsteps of my fourth grade teacher. But um, I just kept going. And when I was in college, I was actually on a double track major genetics and accounting. And accounting was four years. Genetics was eight to 10. So I went accounting. So Mm, shorter. (laughs) That's how I felt when I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And then I was like, wait a minute, eight years or so of school versus four for teaching. I'm going to go with teaching. But I love how you connected all of those things that you recognize. Those are that's like following the breadcrumbs, right? And you you had the love of math, and you you were told that you would be a writer one day, and connected just combined all of your passions, all those things that you're good at naturally, and voila. Yeah, just be aware and listen to feedback from people. Um, in my book, Three Feet from Gold, which is the first book that I did with the Napoleon Hill Foundation, we released a personal success equation. And you can share this with your audience at personalsuccessequation.com. It's a free download. It's combining your passion and your talent. And most of us stop there. We try to do everything by ourselves. But you have passion plus talent times A for association. The people you have around you, your mentors, the people that are opening doors for you and helping you. Times A, taking action. How many times do we know we're supposed to do? We just don't do it. Right. F, and that F is faith in yourself, faith in what you're doing, faith that is needed and necessary. Now, successful businesses do one of two things, solve a problem or serve a need. And we have a lot of those right now. So your passion and your talent, find the right people around you, take the right action and have that faith and confidence. And when I start working with people, I have a mentoring program, both a group mentoring and one-on-one. I always identify that it's usually the association that they need some help with and self-confidence. And they Mm -hmm. go hand in hand. When you have the right people around you and you have a bad day, they lift you up. And so start analyzing your own personal success equation and say, where do I need to have some work? Yeah, I need to do. Is it an action I'm not taking that I should be? Do I have the right people on on the bus with me? Sometimes a mentor who got you to where you are today is not the right mentor to get you to where you deserve to be and be honest with yourself and take action. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of um, things that I, that come up in coaching when I'm working with the client, they don't have the confidence or they don't have the faith that it'll work out. They have that fear of failure and the fear of judgment or criticism and it not working out or ending up in poverty. And that's what keeps them stuck from taking action. And little do they know is all they need to do is take that little baby step of action and that'll propel them into where they're meant to be. And you learn from your experiences and everything in your environment. That's one thing that really plays a big part in your, of your human experience. Who's around you? Are they uplifting you? Are they bringing you down? Are they negative? Are you watching things on, on um, TV that are bringing your, your energy down or making you sad and whatnot? Or on your social media feed, are you following people that are discouraging or negative or complaining? And it just brings your whole vibrational frequency. We are vibrational beings. We're just energetic beings, right? In a, in a human skin suit, essentially. <laughs> But yeah, oh my gosh, I love that. I heard that passion or the uh, the equation in the book, um, Outwitting the Devil. And I'm typically a hands-on. I like a physical book in my hands, but this one, I had to get it right away. I was like, I need this right now. So I just did the quick download and I've been listening to it 
all day, every day and rewinding, taking notes and just so immersed in it. It's such a powerful book. And I'm so glad that you brought it to life the way that you did. It's changing lives. It really is waking people up, Sharon. It really is. Thank you so much. And I'm happy to hear that. And thank you for sharing it. I really appreciate the fact that you're sharing with others because it really is an empowerment tool. It can help people kind of wake up, you know, get past that numbness and, and start striving towards a better future. Yeah. And I really love how you connected the Bible to it too, because if, if and this is why I say God, the universe, whatever it is for you, but you really bridge that bringing in Bible verses, verifying these things and calling this outwitting the devil, right? So you're bringing that into it and it's the science behind your thoughts, creating your reality and, and what you think actually does manifest into your, your real life experience. So I love that you did that. She also had Michael Beckwith right afterward. I figured I could have a minister with a little cover. He helped give me a little protection. So, Oh my gosh, that's brilliant because he's considered woo woo, but he's in the pulpit too. So it's <laughs> perfect combination. I love it. Brilliant, Sharon. I love it so much. Oh my gosh. You are seriously such a gem, a gem, a wealth of knowledge and such heart and soul and spirit. I feel your energy just through this screen right now. This has been so wonderful, such a beautiful experience for me. You have filled my my heart today just by being in your presence. So thank you so much for being here with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Rita. And I appreciate you. And I think it's a fantastic that you're out there doing this to help people both uh, figure out where they are and where they need to be and give them the tools to get there. So thank you so much. Oh, I'm, I, you are an inspiration and I can only dream and hope that I will get to where you are one day. My mission is just to help people wake up, help them nourish their bodies, their minds, their souls, make the connection to why they're here and actually finally take action and live their purpose and, and be here for a reason and not just let life, you know, like as, as a drifter. Let, let life pass you by. And then you end up on your deathbed full of regret. Like, why didn't I do that one thing? I should have done it out of fear of failure. If you don't even try, you've already failed, yep. you know? And if you don't, if you care so much about what other people think, the people that are judging you or criticizing you, they're judging you because they don't have the courage to take action on the thing that they're feeling that's tugging at their heart. So there's so many different different things there, but yeah, we're on the same mission, I think, but you're just way further ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Sharon. If you'd like to share um, where people can find you and connect with you. I'm Sharon Lecture at um, LinkedIn. I'm Sharon Lecture at Instagram. Author Sharon Lecture for Facebook. Sharon Lecture in Clubhouse and Sharon Lecture Twitter. So it's easy to find me. My website, SharonLecture.com. And any questions, reach out to us directly. Info at Sharon Lecture. Thanks again for your time. Thank you. Love- Take care. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Oh my gosh. I love her so much. Could you guys feel how giddy I was the whole time? Like, ah, obsessed with her. Anyway, so I hope you enjoyed this episode. I love you guys so much. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at rawveganrita and Sharon at Sharon Lecter. And I'll include everything in the show notes as usual. And I will talk to you next Tuesday.